Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. These little kids in Uvalde at that elementary school, they didn't have a chance. They didn't have a chance as soon as that mass murder walked into that school. Not a chance. You had grown men armed some even with body armor, who did nothing. You had a police chief who was not just an incompetent, he was a coward. How do you stand outside and you're armed and you're, tra- <clears throat> and you're trained and you hear gunshots going? in an elementary school and literally do nothing. My program is popular, among others, with police officers. They know I'm right because so many of them have come up to me and spoken to me. This isn't how you're trained to sit around and wait You got to go into that building and try and kill the perp. That's it. Gunshot after gunshot after gunshot. You know there's little kids in there. The parents knew when they got there later. How do you do that? Steve McGraw is director of the Texas Department of Public Safety. 
and he was at a hearing today, a hearing that really mattered. And here in part is what he had to say. Cut one, go. There's compelling evidence that the law enforcement response to the attack at Robb Elementary was an abject failure and antithetical to everything we've learned over the last two decades since the Columbine massacre. Three minutes after the subject entered the West Building, there were a sufficient number of armed officers wearing body armor to isolate, distract, and neutralize the subject. The only thing stopping a hallway of dedicated officers from entering room 111 and 112 was the on-scene commander, who decided to place the lives of officers before the lives of children. The officers had weapons. The children had none. The officers had body armor. The children had none. The officers had training. The subject had none. One error, 14 minutes and eight seconds. That's how long the children waited and the teachers God. waited in rooms 111 to be rescued. And while they waited, the on-sea commander waited for a radio and rifles. Then he waited for shields. Then he waited for SWAT. Lastly, he waited for a key that was never needed. The post-Columbine doctrine is clear and compelling and unambiguous. Stop the killing, stop the dying. You can't do the former unless you do, you can't do the latter unless you do the former. This is uh, disgusting. One hour, 14 minutes and eight seconds. One hour, 14 minutes and eight seconds. How do you, you're the commander, you're the chief. That's not even incompetence. It's worse, far worse. More cut to go. There's many references by Chief Arredondo uh, about the door being locked and needing keys and more keys and a master key and just constant references to keys. But is there any evidence whatsoever that shows through the video uh, as it was examined later that the door was ever, that there was an attempt to open the door or test whether or not it was locked? We could never see anybody put their hand on the door, and of course, up until, up until the breach. And then at the last, at the breach, we've gone back and talked to the breachers, re-interviewed the breachers, and they said, no, they didn't try the door handle beforehand. They didn't even try to open the door before they got a key. They didn't even try to open the door before they got a key. Remember the Border Patrol agent who was getting a haircut who was off-duty, Mr. Producer? And he borrows the shotgun from his barber, runs to the elementary school, enters through another way, and walks through the halls. His wife is a teacher. His child is a student, emptying one classroom after another. How did he get in? Cut three, go. 
But I would suggest that doctrine, I'll go back again, it's very, very simple. Okay, you don't wait for a SWAT team, right? No time for a SWAT team. If you got one officer, that's enough, right? So you don't have to wait for 11 or 12 or 50 or 30. You got one's enough. If you got to, you're there in the scene, you got an obligation to go and immediately engage the shooter, okay, and stop the shooting and really stop, you know, which is really stop the killing because there could be other ways to kill it and then stop the dying. That's, that's preached, practiced, and required in the state of Texas. It just wasn't implemented. And by the way, it's preached, practiced, and required in every state in the union. It's my, my friend, a very close friend, an officer in Florida said to me, wait a minute. As soon as this report came out, he contacted me. He said, you go in. You go in. You don't wait. It, it just tears the heart out of your chest because you know these parents are suffering like hell. Remember I did a monologue here and then on Fox about the ruling class? About the bureaucracy, the educational bureaucracy. Really, the ruling bureaucracy at every level of this society within the government. And that they never take responsibility for what they fail to do. And they always want more power. They always want more power, which means you have less individual power. I dare say that if armed parents had gotten to that elementary school an hour and 14 minutes and 8 seconds, they would have broken into that school and done everything they can to save their kids. Even unarmed, but armed. It's Texas. States where you have carry, concealed carry. Even not concealed carry, where you go in your home and you get your weapon. An hour and 14 minutes and eight seconds. I think if a lot of parents knew those officers commanded by this individual, that if they were going to stand down for an hour and 14 minutes and eight seconds, those parents would not have tolerated what these officers did. Not for a second. And when we watch that video played over and over again, the police officers arriving, one car after another, one truck after another. They were standing there with their, with their weapons. Remember, Mr. Producer? Just standing there. Just standing there. Can you imagine what was going through the minds of those kids? They were old enough to think about what was taking place. Those who could were calling 911. The little girl who yelled help was executed. The two teachers grabbing those kids to try and protect them, shot in the back. Wondering. Thank God most police departments are not like this. 
Thank God. And all the talk on the gun control side is about the perpetrator. But if this were a scene in a house or a business or in a restaurant, that's why many of us, those who don't want to be armed, it's up to them. But that's why many of us believe in the right to carry. Because there's far more good guys than bad guys. Far more good guys than bad guys. And if you're in your home and somebody doesn't come or they come late, it's over. If you're sitting in a restaurant, police even get there in three minutes. It's enough to have a mass murder. But um, this justifies all logic. There's absolutely nothing, no law could have been passed, none, to fix what took place here. Protocol was violated. Training was violated. And nobody acted. Nobody acted. So a whole classroom was wiped out. An entire classroom of little kids. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever. And it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. So the media in America push their agenda, regardless of facts, because it's ideological. Just so it happens, it lines up perfectly with the radical left in the Democrat Party. And even leftists in the Democrat Party are portrayed as moderates, like this guy, Chris Coons. You just heard what took place in Uvalde. Now here's how the morning schmo show focuses their program, Cut For Go. How close are we to closing a deal on, on gun reform? Very, very close. I was hopeful we'd have final legislative text uh, last night. Uh, I've just been communicating with uh, the core group of senators who are waiting for legislative counsel to deliver this final text. They're optimistic it'll be locked in today. Uh, I think the Senate needs to take this up and vote on it this week to make sure that the upcoming 4th of July recess uh, doesn't lead to a loss of focus and dedication. 
Focus and dedication on what? Since we are the subjects of this litigation, uh, of this legislation, ladies and gentlemen, shouldn't we know what's in it before they vote on it? The Bill of Rights belong to the people, not the senators. They're part of the government. The Bill of Rights belong to the people, whether they like it or not, whether the left likes it or not, and that includes the Second Amendment. Before the July 4th recess, it hasn't even been written, the legislation yet. And we know, we know they're capable of putting sentences in there and certain words in there and slipping language in there. But they want to hurry up and vote on it. Vote on what? Don't we have a right to know? July 4th? So we're going to celebrate it on July 4th. Is that the idea? We're going to make it patriotic. Make what patriotic? Again, we don't even know what's in it. They don't even know what's in it. But we got to get a vote done because we, we have this dedication, you see, bipartisanship. We've got to do something. Whatever they are planning would not have prevented what took place in Texas. What took place in Texas cannot be legislated. Cannot be legislated. The failure of ruling class bureaucrats to act The failure of courage, the failure of common sense, cannot be legislated. And that's all these people do in Congress. Legislate. That's all they know. Legislate. And who's the legislation aimed at? You. Always. Always. So whatever is in this bill, ultimately, that they want to vote on very, very quickly, without your consent, oh, they did something, great, oh, great, they did something. Finally, something bipartisan, Mika Brzezinski doesn't even ask. No, 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 she just wants something, get it done, come on. What's wrong with you people? What's wrong with the NRA? By the way, next hour at the top of the hour, we'll have Alan Dershowitz on the program with me to talk about this January 6th committee. Testimony today, you know. I'll be right back. Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why I'm primus. Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com.
You're listening to Denali, the great one. The great one. And you can call in now, 877-381-3811. You know, the uh, decision today by the Supreme Court in this Maine school choice case, where Maine law allowed, particularly in rural areas, parents to send their kids to alternative schools where there aren't public schools, as long as those schools aren't teaching religion or aren't related to a faith-based type uh, church is really a simple extension of an original case called the Everson case. And way back when, more than half a century ago, the Supreme Court ruled that school districts could not prevent buses from picking up children and dropping them off at religious schools. They couldn't prevent buses, that is, state money, local money, government money, from being used if the school is on the way. And so that's very important. Now, it's interesting because there was an individual on the court, an individual who actually switched sides to try and influence that case, who was a bigot. His name was Hugo Black. Hugo Black, before he became a senator from Alabama, was a lawyer for the Klan for two years. He was also the first appointee to the court by Franklin Roosevelt. In any event, he was involved in the decision. His son has wrote decades ago, that his father despised the Catholic Church and Catholicism and the Pope and all kinds of conspiracy theories about it. So here we have Maine. This is simply an extension, I think, of the decision in Everson, which is you give the money to the parent and the parent will decide where to send the school. You can't say we're going to discriminate against religion. You're supposed to be absolutely neutral one way or the other. One way or the other. So it's a good decision, and yet we have three justices who voted against it. Go figure. I'm going to read something to you in the Bush versus Gore case from Chief Justice Rehnquist in 2000. Where the election in Florida was being litigated first lawsuits brought by Al Gore who wanted counts to be had in the heavy Democrat areas with the Chads and all the rest and the Supreme Court which had seven members or does in Florida were all Democrat appointees and all fairly radical but one the Chief Justice now here's a real Chief Justice Rehnquist and he says in most cases comedy and respect for federalism compel us to defer to the decisions of state courts on issues of state law and here again remember they're talking about the electoral college that practice reflects our understanding that the decisions of state courts are definitive pronouncements of the will of the states as sovereigns of course in ordinary cases the distribution of powers among the branches of a state's government raises no questions of federal constitutional law subject to the requirement that the government be Republican in character. Small r Republican. 
But there are a few exceptional cases in which the Constitution imposes a duty or confers a power on a particular branch of a state's government. This is one of them. And you've heard me talk about this relentlessly. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 provides that each state shall appoint in a manner as the legislature thereof may direct electors for president or vice president. Thus the text of the election law itself, and not just its interpretation by the courts of the state, takes on independent significance. In 1892 in McPherson versus Blacker, we explained that Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2, quote, conveys the broadest power determination and leaves it to the legislature exclusively to define the method of appointment. A significant departure from the legislative scheme for appointing presidential elector presents a federal constitutional question. This was one of the questions raised in Pennsylvania that the Supreme Court refused to take up. It was simply a case standing on the shoulders of Bush versus Gore and Roberts and Kavanaugh And Comey wouldn't agree with the other three to take it up. 3 U.S.C. Section 5 informs our application of Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2 to the Florida statutory scheme, which, as the Florida Supreme Court acknowledged, took that statute into account. Section 5 provides the state's selection of electors, quote, shall be conclusive and shall govern in the counting of the electoral votes, unquote, if the electors are chosen under laws enacted prior to Election Day. And if the selection process is completed six days prior to the meeting of the Electoral College, that's the process. If we are to respect the legislature's Article II powers, therefore, we must ensure that post-election state court actions do not frustrate the legislative desire to attain the safe harbor provided by Section 5. Now, what is that? That is, you have to turn in your electors by a certain date and time, or your state is excluded from the counting of the Electoral College. Florida, the legislature, has chosen to hold statewide elections to appoint the state's 25 electors. Importantly, the legislature has delegated the authority to run the elections and oversee election disputes to the Secretary of State and to state circuit courts. Isolated sections of the code may well admit of more than one interpretation, but the general coherence of the legislative scheme may not be altered by judicial interpretation, so as to wholly change the statutorily provided apportionment of responsibility among these various bodies. In any election but a presidential election, the Florida Supreme Court can give as little or as much deference to Florida's executives as it chooses. So far as Article Two is concerned, and this court will have no cause to question the court's actions. But with respect to presidential elections, the court must be both mindful of the legislature's role under Article 2 in choosing the manner of appointing electors and deferential to those bodies expressly empowered by the legislature to carry out its constitutional mandate. In order to determine whether a state court has infringed upon the legislature's authority, we necessarily must examine the law of the state as it existed prior to the action of the court. And though we generally defer to state courts on the interpretation of state law, there are, of course, areas in which the Constitution requires this court to undertake an independent, if still deferential, analysis of state law when necessary to decide federal constitutional questions. 
What we would do in the present case is precisely parallel. Hold that the Florida Supreme Court's interpretation of the Florida election laws impermissibly distorted them beyond what a fair reading required in violation of Article 2. This inquiry does not imply a disrespect for state courts, but rather respect for the constitutionality prescribed role of state legislatures to attach definitive weight to the pronouncement of a state court. When the very question at issue is whether the court has actually departed from the statutory meeting, would be to abdicate our responsibility to enforce the explicit requirements of Article 2. That is exactly what the Supreme Court did. Exactly what the Supreme Court did in this election cycle with respect to Pennsylvania. The state Supreme Court changed aspects of the election laws. The governor, the secretary of state, through their various decisions on how to enforce state election laws, changed the election laws. The state legislature, which was the opposite party, the Republican Party, objected in many voices and in many ways to what was taking place. And a lawsuit was presented to the United States Supreme Court. Sam Alito, who oversees the circuit in which Pennsylvania sits, being from, Pencil- being from New Jersey, Obviously, behind the scenes and in the shadows, when he stopped the count, was trying to cobble together three other justices to take the case up. That's why it took so long. And I believe he could only find two. Thomas and Gorsuch. If the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, excuse me, if the United States Supreme Court had done its job and taken up the case, in my view... It would have settled a lot of issues, maybe not in all states, but certainly in that state. But it refused. When you consider it uses its implied power of judicial review, which is not set out in the Constitution, but since Madison versus Marbury, it has seized for itself such power. If it had used that power in this case, as it uses in so many other cases in which it has no business whatsoever... I don't believe today we'd be talking about much of what we're talking about. But it refused. So you were left with the state Supreme Court, which had seven members and does, five of whom are Democrats, all of whom are leftists. The circuit court, the state circuit court below the Pennsylvania Supreme Court put in place an injunction which was immediately overturned. Immediately. I wonder if those state Supreme Court justices who defied the federal constitution and in some ways changed the voting system, I wonder why they're not testifying in front of the January 6th committee. Don't you, ladies and gentlemen? And if we're going to have a full examination, why not? I poked in and I listened to part of the hearings today. 
the Speaker of the House in Arizona, who I also believe received a John Kennedy Library and Foundation Award for Profiles and Courage. And I thought to myself, he just, he just targeted Giuliani, Mark Meadows, and President Trump. There's no cross-examination. Nothing. There's no video testimony from any of those gentlemen. Nothing. Zero. Mr. Bowers describes what he says were the discussions he had without challenge. The Secretary of State of Georgia did exactly the same thing. Without challenge. And the legal analysts, one says he believes the criminal predicate may well be there. Another says this demonstrates that Trump is unfit to be president. What kind of legal analysis is this? And you have a complete perversion of the congressional oversight process, the legislative process, because you have a bastardized system, a bastardized committee process. Certain people can't testify and have pleaded the, the fifth because they know, because members have said that this is basically a criminal investigation. They have 11 former federal prosecutors on their staff, two of whom are former U.S. attorneys. Why? The media keep prodding them along. Are you going to make a criminal referral? Are you going to make a criminal referral? Are you going to... So, of course, if you're a decent lawyer, as any common sense, you're going to advise your client, plead the fifth. Don't tell these people anything. Their goal is to nail you. So you're quoting testimony of an individual, in this case, the Arizona Speaker or the Secretary of State of Georgia, That's without challenge of any kind whatsoever. And then you actually have people saying, but even if you had an opposition and contrary witnesses, I don't know what they could say to make a difference. No, you don't know what they could say to make a difference. That's exactly the point. Maybe they say something that makes a difference. Maybe they don't. Who knows? The key about the justice system is the system. It's the process. And if you have a violation of separation of powers, which is so key, it's the core to our constitutional system. How can you just sit there as an analyst? Just say this is a fairly compelling case, you know. It's like being an analyst during the show trials of any regime. It's a compelling case. Yeah, because the other side has absolutely no rights. I'll be right back. Mark Levin.
Folks, it's no secret that Americans are more divided than ever, and it's not just over what policies will improve our great country. No, it's over whether America is great at all, whether America deserves our love. That's why Imprimus, Hillsdale's Digest of Liberty, is so important. Imprimus looks at the issues of the day from a constitutional perspective, reminding citizens always of our great heritage of liberty. For 50 years, Imprimus has featured speeches given at Hillsdale events by the smartest conservative thinkers and writers. These days, Hillsdale publishes people like Victor Davis Hanson, Molly Hemingway, and Chris Rufo. Over 6.2 million American households and businesses receive Imprimus absolutely free, and I urge you to sign up for it today at absolutely no charge. I always look forward to receiving my copy of Imprimus. My friends at Hillsdale and I want you to have a free subscription as well. To get your free subscription, go to levinforhillsdale.com right now, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. You know what else is interesting, again, as I sit here during the break? What was the role of the various Democrat officials and their Democrat lawyers hired by the DNC and the Biden campaign? in getting governors, secretaries of state, and state courts to violate the federal constitution. Have you noticed that's not even part of the January 6th hearings? I mean, if you're really going to delve into this stuff the way they are, the legal opinions and the legal advice and who pressured whom, isn't that relevant, Mr. Producer? Now, I'm the first to mention this because I'm sitting here thinking about it. Because given the narrative, everybody's so myopic. What was the role of the Democrat Party, the Democrat governor of this state and that state, the Democrat attorney general of this state and that state, and secretary of state? What were their roles? What were the roles of the Democrat litigators in trying to change the election laws before the election and violated? Article 2, as recently explained by Chief Justice Rehnquist in 2000 in Bush versus Gore. It's a very important issue. I'm going to expand on it later. We're going to have Dershowitz on uh, after the top of the hour. I want to get into some other things with him, however. All right, stick with us, ladies and gentlemen. I shall return. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Welcome back, America. You know, Alan Dershowitz, I've never really gotten to know you, but I have enormous respect for you. We don't always agree. But I know where you're coming from. You're a man of very, very deep principle. And I'm sure you've taken more crap than most. A lot of people who used to be aligned with you. But I want to thank you for being out there. You could hang it up. You could say, you know, and I have enough. 
But there you are. And so I wanted to tap you a little bit here with respect to this January 6th committee. I look at this committee and I say, what the hell is this? Apart from everything, what the hell is this? Does this have any basis in the Constitution, in, 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 in any rational system? When you have one side that's putting up videos and putting up, oh, look at this. This is the uh, speaker from Arizona mentioning names and the people whose names are mentioned have no say. There's nobody representing them. And it's a national forum. And they go on and on about how crimes were committed and how they're going to make criminal referrals. Shouldn't we be concerned about this? This is the old McCarthyism in the new Democratic garb. This is what I remember as a kid with the House and American Activities Committee and Senator McCarthy uh, hauling people, except they were fairer. The McCarthy Committee was fairer because the Democrats would at least have a chance to ask some questions. And the people who were named at least could have lawyers representing them. This is like watching a basketball game, but it's much more serious, in which one team is allowed on the court, you know, and and, and Steph Curry is shooting three-pointer after three-pointer, but the other team is not even allowed on the court. They're kept Mm. on the bench. Uh, It's outrageous. In America, you don't trust witnesses unless they're subject to cross-examination or confrontation. The Constitution talks about the right to confront witnesses, and here you have totally one-sided presentation. Any Republican who wanted to ask a single hard question was excluded by uh, Nancy Pelosi, and they put on two, you know, Republicans, one of whom is quitting Congress and the other of whom is going to be defeated in a Republican primary, and they're following the narrative completely. And what's worse about it is that even without opposition, the Democrats have cheated. For example, on the first night when everybody was watching, they put on President Trump's speech, but they doctored the speech, and they left out the words, I want you to go to the Capitol, and patriotically and peacefully let your voices be heard. So even if you hear one side, like, for example, in a grand jury, if a prosecutor ever did that, put forward a tape and doctored it, they'd be disciplined, perhaps disbarred. And that's what's going on here. You hear these accusations being made, not only by the committee, but by their um, uh, uh, hand-picked narrative uh, espoused on CNN. CNN just repeats everything they say, and then they put Larry Tribe, my former colleague, on, and he says, well, President Trump was guilty of attempting to murder Vice President Pence. Nobody responds. Nobody answers. If a law student ever said that on a first-year criminal law exam, they'd fail, even with great inflation. So what we're hearing is a completely one-sided presentation, and I'm a liberal Democrat. I voted for Biden, and I voted for Clinton, and I find this thing unacceptable and intolerable and a throwback to McCarthyism. And you know, Alan Dershowitz, I find myself in a minority among lawyers. I watch these legal analysts who say, well, that guy, what that guy said is very serious and that could be obstructed. I said, wait a minute, I have questions for that guy and I can't ask that guy any questions. Why are you, why do you claim to be a legal analyst? Who are these people? These people have gotten it wrong all the time. Jeffrey Tubin has about a zero correct rate. Everything he's predicted virtually has turned out false because his predictions are based on wish fulfillment, what he wants. And you get all these people saying that crimes have been committed. They don't understand the difference between 
something that may be unlawful and something that's criminal. I'll give you an example. A policeman fails to give Miranda warnings to a suspect. That's unlawful, but it's not criminal. A person tries to run for president uh, at the age of 34. That's unlawful, but it's not uh, criminal. Uh, and, and they're completely confusing this. I've seen no evidence whatsoever of any violation of any criminal statute. And every civil libertarian ought to be upset at people who say, well, we should stretch the obstruction statute to fit the crime. We should stretch the conspiracy statute to commit the crime, to cover the crime. And that, that's exactly what, what, what very, very McCarthyite people did in the 1950s and what, what uh, radicals have, have tried to do now. And, uh, you know, the victims of the American people, we have a right to due process. And our Constitution is being distorted. These people think that the ends justify the means, that getting Trump is the main end. Um, and anything, anything that gets Trump is, is appropriate. I hear it from my friends on Martha's Vineyard. Well, why are you defending these, these issues? It means that Trump will be in office. My God, that's, that's, they say that's worse than Hitler. Uh, they literally say that. They make that oh analogy to me. And, uh, and you know, I'm going to always defend the rights of anybody, whether I agree with them or disagree with them, under the Constitution. And people just don't understand that or pretend they don't understand. It. And that's what we've learned from you. The process matters. The process is everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. yeah. Felix Frankfurter once said the most important defender of liberty is due process and procedure. You have to follow. You have to dot the I's and cross the T's. You can't take shortcuts. You can't cut tapes out. You can't doctor. I'm suing CNN now because they doctored a tape of me answering questions in front of the Senate when I defended the Constitution on behalf of President Trump. Uh, and, and people are just cheating. They're cheating, and that's just not the American way. And I'm also trying to figure this out. This is a political process. The state legislatures mm -hmm. under Article 2 and so forth. And really, the courts are supposed to have a limited role, although they have a role. Yeah. So let's say a president lobbies a state legislature to change their vote. He's not going to win in 50 cases or 30 cases or 12 cases or whatever. And if, if the, the Speaker of the House of whatever the state is says no, and then they testify. I was pressured. I was pressured. I'm thinking, well, well how many lawyers for the Democrat Party were pressuring uh, governors to yeah. change the election laws before the election in violation of Article 2? I mean, is this whole thing going to be criminalized now? It's what's happening. Uh, look, in Pennsylvania, in, in violation of the Constitution and the law, but not criminally, um, the governor expanded the amount of time for late ballots to come in. That clearly violates Article 2 of the Constitution, but it's not criminal. That's what politics is all about. And, uh, um, uh, you know, and here you have people claiming, oh, my God, people have threatened. They've threatened and they put these people forward with pressure. <laughs> what about Chuck Schumer when he gets in front of the Supreme Court and he says, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, you have reaped the whirlwind. You will pay a price. You won't know what hit you. And then, you know, a few months later, some deranged kid from California comes with a gun and a knife and tries to kill um, Justice Kavanaugh. Are there hearings about that? No, it's one sided. You know, violence doesn't know party. Uh, violence is wrong no matter which party uh, encourages it or incites it or 
does anything. And, and we don't see any of these comparisons being made between one party or the other. Jamie Raskin, who served in this com- committee, tried to stop the election of President uh, Trump. I tried to stop the election of President Bush. I brought a lawsuit on behalf of the voters of Palm Beach County because they, because of the butterfly ballot, they voted for Pat Buchanan. These were Jewish voters who voted for Pat Buchanan, <laughs> who's about the least favorite candidate among Jews, because they, they screwed up on the ballot. So, you know, I brought lawsuits. Am I committing crimes? I mean, the American legal system permits for this. And there isn't a word in this legislative hearing about what to do in the future. We should set up an election commission the way Israel has an election commission in England. Some other countries have election commissions. If you have a complaint, you go to the commission. The commission is non-political. It consists of university presidents, ministers, scientists, people who have no party affiliation, and they decide whether the election is fair. We can make legislative solutions to this, but nobody cares about the future. People only care about pointing fingers. Yeah, the future. They want to prevent the election of Trump. That's the future. But they don't want to change the law. They don't want to improve the law. They don't want to legislate some of these problems away. All they want to do is expose and and finger point. It's an abuse of the legislative process. It's an abuse of the Constitution. It's an abuse of our system of checks and balances. If you want to hear more of Alan Dershowitz, he's got a wonderful podcast on Rumble. It's called The Durr Thank Show, you. right? Right, right, right? Yeah, and you can subscribe to it, and you can get the app. And I talk about these things and others, and I'm not as good as, as Mark Levin, but I'm trying oh, my right. best. Well, let me tell you this. You are terrific. Uh, the stuff Thank you've you. done with uh, Netanyahu, the stuff you're doing. Well, you're, you're principled, and you have guts. You know how rare that is? I mean, well, I don't even see, ago, where's the ACLU today? I don't even yeah. see it. Oh, they're dead. They're dead. They're on the wrong side. There's a new organization called FIRE, which is taking over for the ACLU. And if people really want to support free speech, they ought to support this organization called FIRE. All right. Happy birthday to your son. Thanks for taking some time <laughs> I'll out. tell him that. Thanks All a right. lot. Be well. Bye. God bless. Or daughter, I apologize. He really is excellent. I'm talking to you as a constitutional lawyer. He really is excellent. Because it doesn't matter to him what party. And he said nothing there you could disagree with if you believe in the American system, right? And he calls him out. He's a referee. Calls out his own party. But this is the problem. What's going on in front of that committee? Why aren't we having hearings on the hearings on the role of the Democrat politicians? As he just said, the governor of Pennsylvania, what he did to change the election laws. Or anybody else who may have pressured legislators to change the election laws. How come we don't have any of that? And of course, Chuck Schumer. Really quite violent propaganda against two Supreme Court justices, one of whom was a potential victim of an assassination effort, potentially. Even complain about it. There's not even a hearing about it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking... 
Well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand, the 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Right, folks, this January 6th thing, whatever it is, this committee has now expanded from January 6th to mean the entire election. And only the Republican effort, only the effort, alleged effort, unchallenged testimony to influence the outcome of the election which is not a crime again none of which is criminal none of which none of which is being challenged because there is no other side now you would think you would think that these phony legal analysts and these so-called journalists would be saying wait a minute Now that you've expanded your investigation to include what secretaries of state have done to include any pressure, quote-unquote, political pressure, it is a political event, after all, that occurred with any state legislature to change votes and so forth, which occurred all through 2000 in Florida, that we would have Democrats being investigated. We would have the law firm of Perkins Coie being questioned. And several of the lawyers that work for that firm. You would have an expanded investigation here. Because this isn't an investigation about how security was breached on January 6th and how to fix it. This is a wholesale political investigation of Donald Trump his supporters, his lawyers, their texts, their emails, their documents, their conversations. This committee has no authority to do this, but where do you go to appeal? And then on top of it, they layer it with, it's a criminal investigation. And then the legal analysts are there. Yeah, that testimony was very compelling. And I don't really know what other testimony could have heard it. How about this testimony? I'm just saying as an example. What if somebody overheard the speaker of whatever his name was, Bauer, and said, no, he didn't say that. Or that he later told me X, Y, Z. The prosecution doesn't get to be both sides of the situation. Well, I think it shows Trump's unfit for office. Trump's unfit for office by people who wrote before he ever became president that he was unfit for office. Unfit for office? What crime did he commit? Well, obstruction. No, he didn't. 
They literally, as Dershowitz said, and I've pointed it out too, you have to stretch the meaning of insurrection, stretch the meaning of obstruction. It's not an insurrection. What took place was wrong in that building, but it wasn't an insurrection. And he hasn't committed obstruction. It's just unbelievable. Why are there like two or three or four of us even saying this there and nobody else? I mean, this is really appalling. And these suckers, Cheney and Kingsinger, and these suckers, these phony legal analysts, and these suckers, these journalists, many of whom believe and want to believe and push this agenda... They don't care about the future. They don't care of the damage this does. Does. Of course you're free to pressure state legislatures. Of course you're free to bring lawsuits. It was done in Florida by the Democrats and by Gore. It's an entirely political process. It's an amazing thing. You know, Trump and his people, they never showed fraud, ladies and gentlemen. They never showed criminal fraud. But they're accusing Trump and his people of either fraud or obstruction. There is no fraud or obstruction. This entire case is developed by 11 no-name former federal prosecutors working for Schiff, working for Benny Thompson, working for Cheney, concocting an entire situation, cherry-picking witnesses, witnesses who cannot be challenged, smearing people left and right, smearing them left and right. We don't know whether they did the things that they say they did, and we never will. Just put yourself in that position. I'm right about this, and so is Dershowitz. Oh, I know. I get attacked for this. I don't care. And now, the coming mob and the coming violence after the Supreme Court rules. This is the hilarity of the situation in a sick way. The violent mob is ready, baby. One of their members wanted to take out a Supreme Court justice. I'll be right back. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code LEVIN PODCAST. That's L-E-V-I-N PODCAST and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code LEVIN PODCAST. 
This is the Ministry of Truth. The Mark Levin Show. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Senator Ron Johnson tried to hand fake elector information to Vice President Pence. That was testimony today. You know what Senator Ron Johnson said? I don't know what they're talking about. I wasn't trying to hand fake anything to anybody. The smear goes on. The smear goes on, and that's what happens when you have this kind of a uh, Stalinist kind of show trial. Not a single investigation into the Democrats, not a single question about whether they tried to affect the outcome of the election by changing laws in violation of Article 2 of the Constitution. You heard Rehnquist, what he wrote about it in 2000. You've heard me talk about it endlessly. You heard Dershowitz talk about it. Why no witnesses on that? Because this committee is run by former federal prosecutors hiding in the shadows. Notice they're not asking any questions, so you can say, who the hell is that? Eleven of them is my understanding. Investigating Trump, the Trump campaign, Trump surrogates, Trump friends, Trump family, the Republican National Committee, and nothing. Not a single investigation of the Democrats. Nothing. Nothing. You would think one journalist by now would have called this out. But there hasn't been one. Me, I'm calling it out. Because it's become so completely and utterly obvious. The role of Democrat politicians and Democrat lawyers in trying to change the outcome of the election. Before the election. Non-legislative bodies in violation of the federal constitution. Who was behind that? What was their strategy with 600 lawsuits? How come these governors aren't testifying about what they did? These attorneys general, these secretaries of state. What, it's only one party, one campaign that's trying to affect the outcome of the election? They've taken a purely political process. They've sought to criminalize it on one side of the ledger. And they've done it in a Stalinist fashion where people who are making allegations are not even challenged. They're given awards by the John Kennedy Library. (coughs) Excuse me. Where am I, Rich? This abortion issue. The court says, look, the Constitution doesn't say anything about it. But the abortion extremists insist that these justices rule that way anyway. Would they say the Supreme Court has the power to rule that these are babies at conception? And under the Equal Protection Clause of the Fifth Amendment, applied to the states through the Fourteenth Amendment? That you're not free to have an abortion? Do you think the court has that kind of power? If the court does what the first draft indicated, it's a very modest opinion, ladies and gentlemen. It's a very modest position. All they're saying is we have no say. 
The states are in charge. The states are in charge of the health issues. The states are in charge of this issue. The states are in charge of criminal law issues. The states are in charge of divorce. The states are in charge of local and state taxes. The states are in charge of uh, licensing for this. The states are in charge of a thousand things, including this. There's no special walled-off area in the federal constitution for this. In fact... In fact, to be perfectly 100% honest with you, intellectually honest with you, some would argue the Constitution compels that abortion be banned throughout the country. But that's not what the justices did. Under the Tenth Amendment, but not even under the Tenth Amendment, they said, we have no authority here, none. Remember what we said with Professor Dershowitz. Process is everything. It's everything. The government that has the power to give has the power to take away. I heard somebody on TV say, but this is different. This has been enshrined for 50 years. Really? Well, Plessy versus Ferguson was enshrined for more than 50 years, almost 60 years. And the court, the court reversed it. In fact, it eviscerated it, as it should have, in Brown versus Board of Education. If something is wrong, it doesn't matter if it's 50 years, 60 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. The court was right then, and the court will be right now. Nobody who's serious about the Constitution believes the Constitution provides a basis for any national promotion of abortion, period. That's it. Now, if you take it out of the law and you take it out of the Constitution, you have to ask yourself some questions. What does the science say? What's the Democrat Party say? Now, we've discussed this, but I need to underscore it because there's about to be mobocracy in the streets. Mobocracy, populism, in its purest form. That's why we're constitutionalists and Republicans, small r. What does, what does the science say? Right after the first draft was leaked, the Democrats sent a message to their base and to the world. They tried to pass a law that they knew would not pass. One among them voted against it, Manchin. And that law would have codified abortion, abortion on demand, partial birth abortion, abortion at every second along the way, including the last second before birth. What does the science say? What does Roe versus Wade say? Roe versus Wade says the last trimester, there is in fact a state interest in protecting the viable baby. And that's science that's 50 years ago. 50 years ago. Because we know babies 
are viable, quote-unquote, outside the womb long before that now. So even under Roe versus Wade, Roe versus Wade can't stand. It's archaic. What's the science tell us? So the Democrat Party is for infanticide. The science tells us that that's a baby that can survive outside the womb. So they're for infanticide. Makes no difference if it's in the womb or out of the womb. It can, it can, it can survive. That's why so many of our criminal laws <clears throat> in so many of our states where if you kill the mother, a pregnant mother, and you kill the baby, you're charged with two counts of capital murder. So like everything else the Democrats do, you have to reject knowledge and reject science. Yet they claim to be for knowledge and science. They're not for reason. They're not for facts. They're not for knowledge. They're not for science. They're not for experience. They're for whatever they demand. Whatever they demand. And they've built a mob. A violent mob. And because college is out and universities are out and high schools are out, their mobs' ranks grow as they did in 2020. As they did in 2020. Politico, inside Democrats' plan, if Roe falls, a voter turnout blitz. The party's working out how to make the expected Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe versus Wade a top campaign issue amid economic worry. In every poll running in every targeted House district around the country, House Democrats' campaign arm is testing how voters feel about the Supreme Court ruling, likely ruling. The group's strategists have drafted fundraising emails <clears throat> that will blast out to millions of supporters in the hours after the decision comes out, they've cut video clips of what Republican candidates say about abortion. They're developing analytic models to find and target voters who back abortion rights. Boy, when you have a party that's so committed to death, it's unbelievable. And then exploits it. Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee's preparations, previewed by a committee official, our window into the Democrat Party's broader efforts to capitalize in the middle of a brutal-looking midterm election climate on the Supreme Court's likely reversal, Roe versus Wade, which would change a half-century of precedent and let states decide the legality of abortion. Support for Roe is at an all-time high with voters, and the Democrat strategy is aimed at firing up a flagging Democratic base. See, the problem is it's not at an all-time high if people understood it. Roe protects babies in the last trimester. There's a state interest. Is that what Democrats believe? They want to fire up a flagging Democratic base while also trying to compete for some of the college-educated female suburban swing voters who backed them during the Trump era. The question, though, is how to make abortion a top issue for voters in November while facing a range of challenges, especially gas prices averaging $5 a gallon and inflation ticking up. you believe this? Women in the suburbs, what are they doing to your children in the classroom? What are they doing to your children when it comes to preaching sexuality? 
and race. Those same people haven't gone away, you know. They're still there. They're tenured. They're unionized. They have a lot of power. So abortion's the issue? Any woman who wants to get an abortion in this country gets an abortion in this country. Yes, you may have to cross state lines. You may not. I mean, as I've said before, we ship illegal aliens all over the country. And that's what will happen with abortions. I mean, it's maybe a little bit inconvenient, but I mean, after all, consider what's being done. We're not going to be able to keep it in the national news, but we're going to put a lot of money on paid advertising, on TV, on digital ads, on mail, on radio, and in key places across the country. And that's how this issue will matter. Said Stephanie Shriok, former president of Emily's List, a Democratic pro-abortion rights group. Isn't that great, Stephanie? You and your friends and your cohorts and comrades are going to be pushing this issue, spending millions. And all those babies, who speaks for them? They don't vote. They don't speak. They have no say in their future, do they, ladies and gentlemen? None. I'll be right back. Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile are charging you a premium fee every month for data you don't use. Stop paying for things you don't use. Instead of paying $89 a month to your current provider, pay just $20 to Pure Talk for what you actually need. I made the switch, and I'll be honest, I was nervous at first thinking, well, is the coverage really going to be that good? Am I going to drop calls, slow internet? I can tell you firsthand. The 5G service is that good. Switching to Pure Talk was that easy. So listen, don't sit on the fence any longer. You're being ripped off by greedy wireless companies. It's time to take the leap and start saving money every month. Go to puretalk.com, select a plan, then enter promo code Levin Podcast. That's L-E-V-I-N Podcast and save 50% off your first month. You can literally be switched over to Pure Talk service in less than 10 minutes. So go to puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Mr. Producer, I will surprise you. Do we have time for a phone call? So to whom shall I speak? Yeah. 870 The Answer, the great KRLA, where I'm live and national. Sue, go right ahead, please, quickly. Uh, Good afternoon, Mark, and thank you for everything you do. Thank you. Uh, Listening to this January 6th travesty, it reminds me of what happened with Richard Nixon. I would suggest any of your listeners read the book, The Nixon Conspiracy, by Jeff Shepard, because he and... After they released 50 years later information about the Watergate conspiracy, it goes into depth about the Democrats, deep state in Washington, Washington, D.C. And if and how is- dishonest the media are, including the two knuckleheads that work for the Washington Compost. 
But I think the January 6th committee should be expanded when the Republicans take over to see the extent to which the Democrats were trying to influence the outcome of the 2020 election in violation of Article 2, among other things. I think we should pick up where they left off. Folks, you've been hearing me talk about Omaha Steaks for a while now. They are seriously, seriously the best steaks I've ever had. And now with summer here, no backyard grill-out is complete without Omaha Steaks. Go to omahasteaks.com, enter Levin, L-E-V-I-N, into the search bar. You'll get a special price on the all-American assortment, and as a tasty bonus, you'll also get eight ultra-juicy Omaha Steak burgers for free. The all-American assortment includes 16 mouth-watering entrees with four famously fork-tender, double-trim, butcher-cut filet mignons. Imagine that. Four pork chops, four boneless chicken breasts. Wow. Is anyone else getting hungry? I sure am, plus so much more. Order the All-American Assortment and fill your freezer with enough gourmet meat to keep your cookouts going strong all summer long. And don't forget, for a limited time, my listeners get eight free Omaha Steaks burgers when they order the All-American Assortment. So visit omahasteaks.com, type the keyword Levin, L-E-V-I-N, in the search bar. That's omahasteaks.com, keyword Levin. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, Now, the uh, polls in Alabama have closed. We'll be keeping an eye on it. I don't know if we'll know the outcome um, by by the time this program's off the air, but we may well. So um, we will keep an eye on that. And uh, I wanted to talk about Stephen Colbert. He is very defensive about what took place with his staff. He's the kingpin behind it, obviously. Um, With his seven staffers were arrested. They're arrested because they defied the Capitol Hill police. And you would think that with all the security there and all, all the attention given to January 6th, that Colbert and his... Conga line of leftists would know better, but they don't because they think they're above the law. They know they'll never have to pay the price. So his, his staffers were arrested. They spent a few hours in the D.C. jail and they were released and they flew back to New York. I wonder if along the way they saw some of the January 6th trespassers in the D.C. jail Probably not since summer in solitary confinement. The U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C. is a hack. He worked on the Biden campaign. He's a hack and his wife is a hack. And so it really is unimaginable that there would be uh, equal justice. Equity, I think we call it now. The way AOL is regurgitating this, and they pick it off from Yahoo Entertainment, 
On Monday's The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, opened by addressing the arrest of some of his staff in the Capitol complex late last week. The crew were there with Robert Schmeagel, who voices Triumph the Insult Comic Dog, covering the January 6th hearings. Colbert said that both Republicans and Democrats were willingly interviewed. So what? They were told to leave. They're obstructing the hearing, and they were not doing what they were told, according to the police. Why else would they be arrested? They were trespassing and parading. Triumph and my folks shot for two days, so he thinks it's a joke. In congressional offices across the street from the Capitol building, Colbert said, they went through security clearance, shot all day Wednesday, all day Thursday, invited into the offices of the Congress people they were interviewing, and that's very important. Colbert said that Schmeigel, Schmeigel Schmeigel, and the crew were just taking care of some last-minute puppetry in a hallway when they were approached and detained by Capitol Police. So now he's trashing the cops. Well, the Capitol Police were just doing their job. My staff was just doing their job. Everyone was very professional. Everyone was very calm. My staffers were detained, processed, released. A very unpleasant experience for my staff. A lot of paperwork for the Capitol Police. That's it. Big deal. No problem. Colbert then addressed how the incident has been covered by some in conservative media like Fox News. It's Fox's fault. Some have tried to equate the arrest of Colbert staffers shooting a comedy bit to the violent insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. Fairly simple story until the next night when a couple of the TV people started claiming that my puppet squad had, quote, committed insurrection at the U.S. Capitol building. Is that exactly what I posted, Mr. Producer? <laughs> You're a follower, you schmuck. First of all, what? Second of all, huh? Third of all, they weren't in the Capitol building. So Colbert explained the vast difference between the two situations. But you're on government property. You're in an office building that is adjacent to the Capitol building, apparently. And many of the people who've been arrested and charged and have had to plead, some have had to serve jail time, they weren't violent in the least. And why did you say last night that several people were killed that day? That's not true. One person was killed, an innocent protester, who didn't commit any acts of violence and wasn't carrying a weapon. She was shot right there in the neck. And this is what they do, you see. Quote, they want to talk about something other than January 6 hearings on the actual seditionist insurrection. I talk about it every night. That led to the deaths of multiple people. No, it didn't. And the injury of over 140 police officers. Nobody is supporting that. But drawing any equivalence between rioters storming our capital, we're not. We're drawing the equivalence to trespassers and paraders, people who were having the book thrown at them, who didn't commit acts of violence, some of whom were waved into the Capitol building and are threatened with obstruction which has a term of 20 years. 20 years. 20 years. See, Colbert is a Democrat, just like this January 6th committee. They want to control the narrative. They want to control the narrative in the media. They want to control the narrative politically. They want to control the voting system. 
They detest the Constitution because of separation of powers and the barriers it has, unless they can use it to attack their opponents. They hate freedom of speech. They insist on conformity and uniformity. They really hate science, uh, as is demonstrated by their view of human life. They hate knowledge, as is demonstrated by their actions, burning books, pulling down monuments, lying about the history of this country by pushing 1619 and the rest of the lies. That's them. So Colbert was behind it. He's defended it. Maybe it's time that he's questioned. Now I say this tongue-in-cheek, of course. But you get the point. It's really quite grotesque. It's quite grotesque, two standards of justice. His staff should not have been released. They should have been held. For trespassing and parading. For misdemeanors. I mean, they were arrested. What were they arrested for? I guess, misdemeanors. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read the secret war on cash from Swiss America. The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. One of the great Supreme Court justices of all time is Associate Justice Clarence Thomas. He's a wonderful man. He has a wonderful wife, Ginny Thomas, who they're always trying to destroy. None of the other spouses, I notice. And there's a fantastic new book that's been released today called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words by Mark Paoletta. Mark, how are you, sir? Mark, I'm great. Thanks for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. So tell everybody what makes this book different than the other books on Clarence Thomas. First of all, you know the Thomases intimately. You're very, very close to them. But explain that. Sure. So Justice Thomas wrote his memoirs back in, uh, they were published in 2007, and uh, they only go up to the time he was on the Supreme Court. And so there was a movie made uh, in 2020. Yeah, we saw it. Yeah, created equal. And it was only two hours, and it had about an hour of Justice Thomas in the movie. This, that movie was based on interviews that spanned uh, six sessions and 25 hours with Justice Thomas and six hours with Jenny Thomas. And so when we made the movie, we had to cut away all this you know, great material. 
And so it's so th- this book is the result of going through those interviews and pulling out, you know, in, in, you know, uh, topics and discussions more in depth with which uh, was in the movie, but other topics that weren't covered. And it's really a great insight into the justice sitting down and talking to Michael Pack, who interviewed him um, about his life, his journey, uh, his his um, sort of evolution as a thinker. Um, and his, his, his journey through life from, from the segregated South being born into abject poverty uh, in Pinpoint, Georgia, to a, to a mom um, who was raising three kids basically on her own. The father had left. You know, she was uneducated. Um, and he has this kind of bolt of lightning happen when he goes to live with his grandfather uh, and grandmother in Savannah, a couple miles away. And that changes his life forever. Uh, his grandfather provides him the discipline and, you know, work ethic and accountability uh, for him to make his way through that world. So it's really a great insight, Mark. And it goes all the way up to this was um, filmed, and the interviews were in 2017 and 2018. So just as Thomas talks about cases and his decisions and how he approaches as a, you know cases as a judge, his views on the Constitution, um, his uh, relationships with his colleagues, including in particular, as you know, uh, Justice Scalia, who he's very, very fond of and very close with. So it's it's probably the most... Um, comprehensive view into Justice Thomas's life, his life story, and his his jurisprudence. Well, that's the great thing about this book you and your co-author put together. You can go much deeper and uh, go much further with him, his, not just his life, but how he approaches cases, how he thinks them through, and so forth, because this is absolutely crucial. And uh, does Justice Thomas get frustrated sometimes when he when he sees some of the other justices, whether it's the chief justice or some of the more left wing justices, so forth, who don't really have a judicial doctrine, you know, like originalism and so forth, but uh, but have more more of an activist agenda. I'm not I'm not asking if he trashes them. I'm just asking, do you think he gets frustrated from that? I think the justice has been, um, you know, laying down his vision uh, of originalism, uh, you know, consistent with the Constitution and the text, and hopefully his colleagues will come his way. It's amazing, right, over the past several years. Um, there's a footnote, and I'd encourage uh, your listeners uh, when, they, when they get the book to look at the footnote. That's the part I got to add <laughs> in my own words. Um, mm-hmm. And Justice Thomas, um, this is on the administrative state cases, Mark, right? And in 2015, 2015, 13, 14, 15, Justice Thomas has written a number of cases, a number of opinions, really attacking the administrative state and the constitutionality of it and sort of the, 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 how it will take away our liberty. And Chuck Cooper wrote a review um, on those cases um, in 2015, I think, the, 2015, 2016, saying Justice Thomas is the only justice who's writing on this topic and will never get five justices in, in the foreseeable future to, um, you know, sort of go along with him. And yet, lo and behold, after President Trump and these appointments, right? Celia Law comes along, uh, which is really a, a signal, I think, that you know those types of agencies and unaccountability are are in trouble. And I think you know, so I think does he get frustrated? I think he stays focused on what he's doing, uh, and hopes uh, hopes and, and persuades, as as we see happening, that uh, justices will come his way. Well, having studied this probably more closely than anybody. And looking at what's going on now with the leak from the Supreme Court, yeah. with the threats of violence against justices, with the threats, depending on uh, how this road decision goes, and we have a sense for how it's going to go, 
What do you personally, Mark Paoletta, who's written this book, great book, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, what do you think about this? It's, it's so despicable. What, what do I think? I think that the left view the Supreme Court as their little playground, their super legislature, to enact their agenda, which could never get enacted by the American people in state legislatures or in the Congress. And now that they see that it's gone and the court is moving back to its kind of original purpose um, in, in our constitutional structure, they want to literally burn it to the ground, Mark, and they want to turn people against it. They, and they have riled people up. And they're fine with people trying to assassinate Supreme Court justices. It's, it's unbelievable what the left has unleashed on the Supreme Court. And it's scary, obviously. And you know some of the justices, and I know, you know, it's as friends, but as, you know, as, as, a, as a branch of our government that's under attack. And if you think about it, you know, it goes back to, in part, you know, Chuck Schumer standing on the steps of the Supreme Court mm-hmm. and directly threatening, in my view, physically threatening, uh, Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch. On an abortion case, right? They were hearing an abortion case, uh, and um, and 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 you see President Biden not personally denouncing this conduct, uh, encouraging people to go to the justices' home to protest, which is against the law. But Merrick Garland not doing anything on it. Uh, so it's really, really very, very troubling, but not surprising, right? The, the Supreme, Court, you know, abortion has been the case that in the opinion from Roe v. Wade, a, 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 you know, a monstrosity and, bar, you know, barbaric decision, both substantively um, uh, and mm-hmm. constitutionally. Um, and, and, and this is where the court leaves that world, uh, hopefully, with the Dobbs decision. And they're mad about it. And they want to and they want to destroy the Supreme Court and they want to destroy and and as we see, assassinate justices. You've gotten close to Ginny Thomas through your works and your research and so forth. There has been a concerted war on uh, Ginny Thomas uh, by the Washington Post, the New York Times, other media outlets, the January 6th committee, which keeps leaking texts and so forth as if she's committed some offense. Then they attack Clarence Thomas, demanding that he recuse on this, that, and the other. There's not another spouse on the Supreme Court that's treated this way. This is all quite organized, isn't it? It is. It it is um, another and, and way. And by the way, you've written about this. You've come to her defense. If you've written about this, I've written extensively. And the time, you know, it's it, it's. I call it sort of feminism 2.0, where or or, or 2022, where conservative women have to shut up and be in the kitchen. And Ginny Thomas was a conservative activist long before she met Clarence Thomas. She loves her country. She believes in issues, and she's always been in the public square. And you know what, Mark? There are tons and tons of judges who have spouses who are in the public square, who do political things, who, 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 who comment on issues, who litigate cases, right? We have Judge Reinhardt out in the Ninth Circuit, whose wife was the head of the ACLU, right, Southern California chapter, and filed an amicus brief in the court below on the Proposition 8 case that went up to him. Everyone thought that was fine, including, uh, you know, uh, lots of judicial ethics experts. We have a judge in the D.C. Circuit, Nina Pollard, whose husband is David Cole, who's the head of the ACLU. And on the very case, Trump v. Mazar, uh, which was first decided in the district court, her husband commented on that case and how the president was wrong in his arguments. It went up where to go up to the D.C. Circuit, and she sat on bonk on that case. Nobody has any problem with those things, right? right? Uh, Marty Ginsburg's law firm appeared repeatedly before the Supreme Court. 
um, representing clients, both as parties and, and, and amicus. Nobody batted an eye that Ruth Ginsburg sat on those cases or when her daughter filed a, a brief, uh, I mean, wrote an article on a pending case that um, the petitioner cited uh, and, and um, uh, before her mother. Um, so the left has applied a standard to the Thomases that has no place, as I've said, in precedent or in law. And they're, they, they hate Jenny Thomas because she's a conservative woman uh, and they hate her husband because he's a black conservative and they're trying to destroy her to get to get to him. Um, and it really is, you know, it, it's mm-hmm. despicable. That's the best word. It's constant efforts it. at uh, intimidation so that people don't yes. become active. People don't go into public life. It's a great book, Mark. The book is called Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in His Own Words. It really is thorough. I strongly encourage you to get it. It's on Amazon.com right now. Thank you, my friend. We appreciate it. Thanks, and we'll Mark. keep Thanks in for touch. Me on. God bless you, buddy. We'll be right back. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, house plants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. Is that a copy of the Constitution you've got? Or are you just happy to see? Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. We're going to post a link to this fantastic book, Created Equal, Clarence Thomas in his own words, on Mark Levin's show, on all the social platforms I have, to uh, Amazon, or you can go directly to Amazon. The book is brand new. It's fresh. It's out today. And it really is a deep dive on Clarence Thomas, not just his life, but how he approaches his decisions, how his mind works, which is a fantastic, brilliant mind. And I want to strongly encourage you, if you're a big fan of Clarence Thomas, you should get the book. It's that simple. All right, we're looking at the race in Alabama. Obviously, it's way too early. Now, one of the problems was is Mo Brooks told us, as Democrats and others get to vote in the Republican primary, I will never understand these states that do this. It's very, very destructive. Uh, We have 0.2% of the vote, which is nothing. A thousand votes counted, 660 of which have gone to Katie Britt, and and, uh, 400 of which gone to Mo Brooks. So, uh, look, it's going to be an uphill battle. Once President Trump endorsed uh, Brit, 
uh, made it incredibly difficult. If he endorsed Mo Brooks, I think Mo would have won and may still win. It's not over yet. Uh, but I'm just making the point that his endorsement does matter. I hate when this happens. kind of drives me crazy. But uh, that's the way it is. All right, Mr. Producer, I'm going to try and pull up our call screen. But in the meantime, to whom shall I speak? Bert, Tucson, Arizona, the great KNST. I love Tucson. Go right ahead, please. Hey. Hi, Mark. Listen, I've been, uh, I'll just say real quickly that I've been listening to you for years. Uh, I listen to you every night. And I, I, Thank you. I have the biggest question is, since we all know that the January 6th committee is illegal, we know that it's one-sided, why can't some, somebody with some power just walk in there and say, this has got to stop? Well, because you know that. Who's going to walk in there and say, this has got to stop? They'll be in a handcuffs and leg irons, and they'll be uh, removed. So the only people who can stop it is we the people on Election Day make sure we throw these bums out. Stop voting for phony moderate Democrats. There aren't any moderate Democrats. They're all changing their tune now because of, uh, uh, because of the, uh, the inflation and all the rest, but you, you, you can't vote for them. We're going to see if Alabamans are going to send a rhino to the Senate or not, my fear is that that's exactly what they're going to do. We'll see. We shall see. Yeah. Schiff is lying again. Yeah, he's, he's always at the middle of these things, isn't he? Or he is a piece of work. Yeah, a piece of work. That's the least of it. Bert, thank you, my friend. You know, Tucson, folks, has the biggest gem, sto- gem show, gem and mineral show on the planet. Once a year. And I've gone now and then. You look at these minerals. They're, they're just amazing. They're fantastic. What nature does. Gemstones of every kind. Some that are beautifully cut and polished. Some that are in rough. You'll see these massive crystals and so forth. Uh, in fact, there's so much to see at their gem and mineral show. You can't possibly see it all. It's not possible. Let's go to Dean. Utica, New York, on the Mark Levin app. How are you, sir? Hey, how you doing, Mark? If, if Very I, good. If Thank I may, you. I wanted to jump on two subjects. Um, for an hour and 14 minutes, that, 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 that murderer, he, he could have had a musket and, yeah, and, and did the same, same amount of damage. Could have had a baseball know? bat. Yeah. If knife, anything, yeah. And uh, also the the capital, the the um, Stephen Colbert's workers going in there. Mm-hmm. Didn't the Capitol Police getting in tr- get in trouble for entering an office illegally there, or they were complaining about it? So now, if Stephen Colbert's workers go there, this gives all the officers permission to go in every single room and search it. You know, or how do we know they didn't just go in room the the his workers go in the room and take photos of stuff, you know, or take something. Nobody knows, you know. Well, I mean, uh, nobody knows what they were doing <clears throat> just because he says what they were going. But you're quite right about the uh, the treatment. It's just appalling. You know, if those had been 
seven Trump supporters walking through the Capitol hallway with an American flag, uh, it would be brutal. Not violent, nonviolent. Uh, wrong place, wrong time. They're not supposed to be there. But because uh, th- these are big TV guys, big Democrats, they did get arrested. Good for the Capitol Police. But the U.S. Attorney's Office there, obviously, he's a big leftist. Couldn't wait uh, to let them loose. And they should have been charged. They were, but they should have been held uh, because they were parading and trespassing. All right, Dean, thanks for your call, my friend. Let's go to John Goshen, New York, the great WABC. Go. Hello, Mark. Thanks for taking my call. You got it. Mark, uh, I am uh, a little nervous, so stay with me here. Okay. A little bit louder. Uh, I <laughs> I try. Uh, I was looking at the Constitution, Article 12, and the reason I'm bringing up the Constitution, I think it has an answer for us that's kind of been overlooked and might turn everything around. And so uh, I think it uh, declares President Trump the president. And, and let me explain why. I'll take him just two minutes to do it, maybe one. Okay, Article 12, the president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all the certificates. So I asked myself, what certificates? So obviously, there are these certificates that are sent by the constitutional electors of the several states. The electors send certified. What happens is the electors under the 1887 law send what is uh, the the uh, the electors certificated vote of the electors to the archivist of the United States. On a given day and date, <laughs> the archivist holds it until they meet uh, on uh, January 6th in a joint session of Congress. They bring the big envelope in, and that's right. The uh, vice president's job is to uh, oversee the process uh, under the statute and to count the votes. But let me ask you the question. Doesn't the vice president take an oath to uphold the Constitution? He does. And, and he said and forget that, about Mike Pence. What if the vice president knows that uh, in the state of Pennsylvania, that the governor and the attorney general and the secretary of state, all Democrats, all leftists, violated the federal Constitution? What does the vice president do then? Does he count the votes? Does he challenge the votes? Does he send it back to the state legislature? What does he do? He can't count the votes because my point is. Well, that's not what it says. What does he do? We don't know. We don't know what he does. And so there's nothing wrong with suggesting that the vice president should put a hold on it or the vice president should do this or that. That's not a coup. That's not stealing an election. That's not any of those things. And so they're trying to create this predicate of obstruction by stretching the definition of obstruction and in a ridiculous manner piling on on their so-called evidence in the kangaroo, whatever the hell it is that they're holding in the, in the House with hopes of referring all this information to a highly partisan U.S. attorney appointed by the President of the United States of the opposite party who, quote-unquote, won the election. You understand what I'm saying? So the whole thing is a railroad job. Uh, okay, but my point is 
That Your point is wrong. The Twelfth Amendment doesn't provide us with any guidance. Well, I'm talking about the Second Amendment now. Can I do that? Okay, that's because, a gun. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, my point with the Second Amendment is that where it says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature may direct the number of electors. Now, you're you're, ta- about you're that talking about the Twelfth Amendment to the Constitution, not the Second right, Amendment. The Twelfth. I'm sorry. I'm. I'm I'm sorry. It's uh, Article 2, Section 1, Second Clause. That's a different section. That's where the state legislatures may determine how electors are selected. Okay. But there's qualification there. And so the Constitution demands (laughs) that these legislatures, uh, they have certain qualifications. Uh, The first one being that it has to be the legislature that... uh, uh, Sir, I got to go. I'm on a hard break. I apologize to you very, very much, uh, John in Goshen, New York. I think I've explained this, haven't I, Mr. Producer? That the Article 2 is the state legislature has the power to determine how electors are chosen. And you know what, folks? Early, early in our history, the state legislatures chose the electors. I think five or six of them did. Some, a number in that ballpark. I'm not encouraging that. I'm just making the point. That's how much power the state legislatures had. So when a governor or state Supreme Court um, seizes authority from that state legislature to change the election laws, that's clearly a constitutional violation. And so the question is, are those to be counted? And I'm saying it's much more complicated than what everybody is saying, which is, no, you're not allowed to tell the state legislature to send another group of electors. Why? I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Some kind of deal was made on the guns, uh, so-called. They're announcing it's all over the news. And a United States senator has texted me. And I will not repeat his name, but he says, uh, we're voting tonight on a gun bill that literally no one has read. This is reckless. Absolutely reckless. And of course, he's correct. And even worse, even if you had time to read it online, ladies and gentlemen, you don't have any time to give your input. You could call a senator's office right now. Nobody's going to answer the phone. What do you make of that? And so... I have the text now of this bill, but I don't have time to read it before we go off the air in about three minutes. And you're not going to have the time to contact your members of Congress. I mean, you can try. This is no way to pass a bill like this. And they're doing it this way, and Washington will celebrate this and applaud it. You're going to hear news outfits tonight. You're going to hear news outfits tomorrow morning telling you how fantastic this is. This is the way they pass these massive spending bills. All of a sudden, there's new agencies. All of a sudden, left-wing groups are funded. Your life changes. You don't even have any role in your so-called representative government. Like this, you don't have any role. Breakthrough. Lawmakers unveil bipartisan Senate gun safety bill. That's all that matters. It's an 80-page bill. That's all that matters to them. Unbelievable. 
They're going to move forward as fast as possible. They're going to try and vote tonight. Mitch McConnell called the legislation a common sense package in a statement pledging his own support. Mitch McConnell is a sellout. He's a fraud. He's a phony. He's a disaster. But if I look at this vote now in Alabama, are you seeing it, Mr. Producer? I, I lost the link. What are you seeing? Four percent in. The McConnellite has 61 percent. And Brooks has 38 percent. With four percent in. Time will tell. That was a disastrous endorsement, in my humble opinion, by a man I love very much, President Trump. I just, I just feel it was a huge mistake. And, uh, for instance, there is no way Mo Brooks would vote for this, and there's every way Britt would vote for this. She will do what she's told. She'll be the third senator from Kentucky. That's the way it is. And, again, as I say, that is a... A true disaster. Do we have a time for another call, Rich? Let's pull somebody in very quickly. I've lost my call screen. The great WABC. Alex, you've got 40 seconds. Go. Yeah, Mark. You know, the Democrats, they want, they're now passing another, more laws about gun control. They want to make the laws, but they don't want to enforce it because they don't want the American people that are law-abiding citizens to be able to protect themselves. If they want You're exactly to right. And let going- me tell you, that's why they want to defund the cops. Uh, neuter law-abiding citizens, but Mitch McConnell apparently is all for it. And so all the Republicans who vote for this. I told you what happened in Texas in that little elementary school. And it had everything to do with the failure of the uh, of the police department there. Complete disastrous failure. So nothing, nothing, nothing in this bill would have stopped that. But it doesn't matter. Another opportunity. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker brothers and sisters, and our brothers and sisters in Ukraine, and of course, you. I'm blessed to know each of you. I'm blessed to have you here, and we'll do it again tomorrow. Keep your chin up, and God bless.